What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, and this episode is specifically part of the Whitetail Series segment within my podcast. The Whitetail Series is 27 episodes in total, nine based around the early season, nine based around the pre-rut and rut, and nine based around the late season. So if you're having problems in one of those sections of the seasons, just sit down, binge these episodes. You'll get a lot of tips, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies, You know, different types of places and areas to hunt and different types to try public land and private land, and you just get a lot of information and hopefully a lot of entertainment. I have guests on here from the Midwest, the East, and the South, so you're gonna it's going to likely retain relevancy for everybody. And then also these podcasts are going to be airing two to four weeks in advance of that section of the season so that you should be able to use the tactics that you listen to this year in your season this fall. So I hope it's a huge value to you guys. I really wanted to do it for myself, and I thought this would be a great share for everybody else. I also have a couple partners with this one, Onyx Hunt and Arrow Hunter Saddles. A couple great companies helping me advertise and push this out to everybody and just hopefully make everybody a better hunter and more successful this fall. Onyx Hunt, if you don't know, is a GPS mapping app where you get satellite maps, uh, topo maps, hybrid maps. It shows public and private land boundaries, which is a big reason that I got it. But uh, you can add waypoints, trails, all that kind of stuff as well. But the biggest reason I got it is because it works offline. A lot of the places I hunt don't have data, don't have service. So I can cache all those maps on my phone, walk around, and I still have all my waypoints. I can still use my GPS. And then as far as Arrow Hunter saddles go, like for me, Arrow Hunter saddles makes the most comfortable saddle, the Kestrel Flex. The Merlin just came out. Um, and if you're getting into saddle hunting or you want to try it, I really encourage you to take a look at them. Like I, like I said, I tried a few different saddles on. And the Kestrel Flex just fit me the best and was the most comfortable. And um, I, I, I really like them and most adjustable. Also, they're 100% made in the USA, which is a phenomenal piece. Um, I'm a big USA supporter. And if I can get keep all those jobs here in the US, I will for sure. So uh, go check those guys out if you're looking into saddles. Also use the code DVAIN10, that's the letter D and then VAIN, then the number's one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off a saddle. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. Today we got Zach Farenbaugh with the Hunting Public. If you don't know him, super awesome dude. He's that one guy with the really long curly hair, kind of looks like Tarzan a little bit. <laughs> um, got him on the podcast today talking early season stuff. And Zach and his crew pretty much travel around the U.S. essentially now. You know, you're getting in all these Western hunts, just hunting mm-hmm. all sorts of terrain, all sorts of seasons, all sorts of pressure habitat everything it's pretty crazy the amount of information these guys have and the amount of experience they have just from kind of quitting their jobs and doing nothing but hunting (laughs) which is awesome it's every person's dream um but uh but we got him on today to talk specifically about early season and we're going to but before we get there he just had a a very successful uh pronghorn hunt so we're going to touch on that quick but for anybody who doesn't know yet, Zach, kind of, I gave a, a high overview. Give a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, I grew up in Western Ohio and grew up hunting uh, Central Ohio, I guess, Central and Western Ohio. Um, pretty, uh, you know, hunting private, small private land and then public land in Central Ohio, also East Central. Um, and that's kind of how like the original love of public land hunting came about as I was, my grandparents lived in 
Eastern Ohio or East Central Ohio, I guess. And I spent a lot of time hunting there. My grandpa's got 180 acre properties. Uh, I hunted those a lot, but then there just weren't. One thing also about me is I love turkey hunting, huge turkey <laughs> hunter. The more I, the more time goes on, the more I'm just like, okay, with saying that I, I think I like turkey hunting the most. So I spent a lot of time turkey hunting in that area. And when I was 12, we lost permission on the one private place that we had that had turkeys. Um, and my grandpa's property just never really has turkeys. It's weird. I don't know why, but we ended up having hunt public land and like from 12 on, I've been hunting public land turkeys, you know, like really never even hunted private, I guess. And kind of got that interest. And then I moved to Southern Ohio when I went to college in at Ohio university and that like made it even bigger, the idea of hunting public land, because down there you're, within an hour of just tons and tons of public land there's national forest state forest um you know all kinds of different properties that you can hunt uh you know the public can hunt so did that and then i went to after college i went to iowa because i got an internship at midwest whitetail and 2015 on i've been a resident of iowa and 2017 on we have been doing the hunting public and that's really I think even again when the whole public land thing got to go a step further 2017 was my first like out of state trip um and that was in Nebraska and I, I actually just watched the videos of that um the other night and that that trip forever will be this like very special time to me because it was like the first time we were ever like truly out of our comfort zone, just diving in somewhere where we hadn't scouted before. We'd never, I'd never even seen it until the first day that I was hunting there. We got there at like 4 a.m., got daylight, and like we, we had walked a mile in in the dark and gets daylight. Yeah. Like, Whoa, this is what we're dealing with. Like hadn't even seen it in the daytime. So <laughs> that was, that was a, special one to me and then since then it's just been a lot of traveling around hunting tons of different stuff i mean the deer deer and turkey tours which is kind of like our series that we do throughout the hunting seasons they take us all over the place i mean we've been to anywhere from new york down south all the way to like mississippi alabama georgia and then all the way out west to nebraska and Colorado and you know plan on just eventually getting to all the states uh we get a lot of questions too about like when are you coming to you know whatever state <laughs> it's like honestly I hope to we hope to be at every single one you know before before we can't do it anymore so right at some point in time yeah no, that's cool that's pretty cool mm -hmm. um on that Nebraska that Nebraska hunt that was that was an early season one too right yeah, they, so that year they opened, you know, whatever, it was September 1st, give or take a couple of days was when they opened. It might've just been September 1st. It, I think maybe Nebraska does open September 1 every year, but we were, um, we were not hunting and we were just kind of sitting around Iowa. And like you said, we'd quit our jobs and we had, didn't really have anything to do. We we're sitting around kind of waiting for Iowa to open. And Jake was like, you know, man, Nebraska is open right now. And I was like, well, should we just drive over there and hunt? Like, what else? <laughs> I mean, like, don't have anything else to do. 
So him, Brody, and I went I, – I think we left on, like, the – I want to say it was, like, the 13th or 14th we got there, and then we hunted until we ended up getting one on the 20th of September. Yeah. And at that point in my life, that was, like – that was the first time I'd ever hunted that early. I remember I – was, I was laughing because I was filling the tag – or, you know, like, punching the tag in that yeah. video that I was watching the other night, and it's like, man, I've never shot one in September before, and it's like, that's what I said a couple of years ago, and now it's just like, we spend so much time in September hunting that it's funny to think that September yeah. 20th, not that long ago, was the earliest that I had shot something, but yeah. now, like, you know, it, it, as early as possible, I, I'm trying to get out, and I'm even realizing that you can do more, like, mule deer stuff in august so i mean there's all yeah. kind of opportunities to continue to get that early start but um, there is a tag i did last year i think you might be interested in which is a, a cow elk tag and it opens august 1st Jeez. um yeah so that okay. was yeah so just life life uh life things were happening for me and i couldn't i couldn't hunt elk after september 1st mm -hmm. i just didn't have the time and i could start hunting them in december but man, I'm not, I'm not geared up for hunting elk in the mountains in September. Like I don't want to spend the money on that gear sure. to do it like comfortably. So I, uh, so I was like, man, where can I find an elk hunt like in August? So I just started Googling and Googling and every, like a lot of them open like August 26th or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, right before September starts. And, uh, and that just wasn't going to work. Cause I'm not going to spend, you know, $800 on a tag and, and be able to hunt, you know, for three days <laughs> or something, you know? Right. Um, so I, uh, so I was looking and looking and there's a cow elk tag. There's two units in Idaho that you can apply for. And there was like in total, like maybe 20 tags or something like that for non-residents. And I actually drew one of them. That's so, yeah, yeah, it was it was hot. It was a super fun experience. Um, and it's any weapon. So you can have a rifle or a bow, whatever you feel like. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, and we went out there and we had a couple opportunities and, and we botched them, you know, we just weren't, weren't ready. Like they had all of a sudden these elk just coming out of nowhere. We saw some, we saw a couple awesome bull moose, um, lots of good muleys. Um, one bull, one bull elk that I would have shot hands down and I saw him three times in a row under a hundred yards, you know, three days yeah. in a row. I'm like, what the hell, you know, I have <laughs> and he was just like right there all the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was super fun. So you might be interested in that. But before we jump into early season whitetails, um, you just had that successful antelope yeah. hunt, you know, in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, give me a, South Dakota. what is it? South Dakota. Oh, South Dakota. Okay. Um, like what's a, what's a, what's like a five to 10 minute overview on that? Like, what'd you do? How'd you do it? How did, how was it successful? All that? Well, I was, I'd been thinking about doing it last year in Colorado, but then I kind of planned an elk, an elk trip last year, kind of got, and just getting all the gear at, like it was my first time elk hunting last year. So I didn't get everything done that I wanted to in time to go pronghorn hunting last year. So I ended up thinking, all right, next year we're going to do South Dakota. I'm going to like really pay attention, get my stuff together, make sure I am ready to go. And um, this earlier this summer, I was in the Black Hills area with my, with my family, just like hanging out, like kind of a family meetup, you know, and um, I did a little bit of scouting then, 
just to kind of make sure that we were spending our money in the right places, you know, because yeah. I don't want to buy a tag and then just like not be hunt, you know, be searching for antelope constantly. And we ended up seeing some, giving me enough confidence that like, yeah, let's do this. And we, uh, three of us got a tag myself uh, and then my friends, Sean and Hayden, and then uh, Jake, Ted and Ethan were with us um, filming. So we uh, basically just went out there and like, had no like real expectation. I just knew that we were going to be able to make stocks like based off of what I had seen. Um, I really didn't think there was going to be any hunting pressure, but there was actually a ton of people out there. Oh, but, okay. But the interesting okay. thing is, is like people for the most part when they're out there are just, and, and we were too, don't get me wrong because you can do it, but like people just driving the roads. So like, it's kind of like, I've seen it in, uh, some places turkey hunting before where it's like the pressure seems absurd but like everybody's just driving so like as soon as you would get off the road a little bit like maybe there is like let's say you're driving down a road and you look up to the right or to the left and there's a hill that goes up and you know over that hill you can just see for four miles if you just walked like a couple hundred yards sometimes it would open up this whole door to places that you just couldn't see from the road and people were not hunting there yeah so day one we drove around and we were on them and um you we, we we were just making stocks right off the road kind of making quicker stocks and then day two we were like all right let's kind of invest some more time and uh really i guess the beginning of day two we had located this area where we knew there was a bunch of bucks but it was pretty far in there and we we're like i don't know if it's if we're if if it's time yet to invest like walking way in somewhere because they were we see them but they're like three miles away you know they're a long way away <laughs> so yeah. we ended up hunting a different spot and we were on you know on them again day two and then day three we went back to that spot where we had seen um, a bunch of bucks and made made a couple stocks that we kind of blew and then to make a long story short i guess like we were in between stocks and we just blown one got really close to him though like 68 yards is what i ranged him at and I, he ran off we turned around and he looked back to where we had come from and there's another buck bedded on our way to him we saw this like big big group of pronghorn like probably a mile away and even through my big i was carrying like 15 by i think 15 by 42 binoculars so like big old binoculars I still couldn't tell if they were bucks or does, but I could tell there's a bunch in there. And usually when there's a bunch in there, there's at least one buck with the group, but yeah, ended up making us going back for the other one that we had seen and spooked some does towards them. And we're like, ah, I don't have much confidence in that. I was like, let's go back and look for that big group. We ended up going back and couldn't find the big group, turn around to walk back <laughs> out again. And I mean, at this point we've been walking all over the yeah. place. And all of a sudden they pop out and like, we just did one of these deals where there was two ditches that came together and they were in one and we were in the other and we all surprised ourselves, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, what's that? Oh, there's the pronghorn. And they're like, Oh, we better get out of here. We bump them from like 70 yards away. Like we just kind of had a weird terrain feature where we met up and everybody spooked and <laughs> ended up just kind of running up to a high point or jumping up out of that ditch. And I watched a few of them kind of, slowing down after they'd stopped running and 
watched him go over hill, took off running, caught up with him, and watched that whole group. And that whole group was 11 bucks. It was 11 pronghorn bucks. And they all grouped back up, and then they just started, like, single file walking. And they were just going slow, but we just laid there on the ground and kept enough cover between us and them to where they couldn't see us. And we just watched them walk three quarters of a mile up and over a hill. And uh, again, at this point, we've been walking all over the place. We're running low on water, but I'm like, they're going to bed down. Like you can just tell they have that. They're moving slow. They're not moving with a real purpose. They're just trying to find a place to like waiting for that first one to stop. Exactly. And, and uh, ended up as soon as they went over that hill, three quarters of a mile away, we start hauling butt again to get up there and we get up on top and look down into the bottom. And basically there was a smaller hill and it dropped off and down about 250 yards below us, there was this flat, but surrounding that flat was this really big ditch with a smaller ditch coming up out of it. And we got up there and they were down in there, of course, and they were just kind of milling around and sure enough, one bedded down and another and then another. And I'm like, man, they are so close to that little ditch that goes up. Like this is our best chance that we've had like by far just the way the terrain is. And I mean, at this point, we're three miles from the road. Like we're a long way back in there and these things are feeling pretty comfortable. So I felt, <laughs> I felt kind of bad because I was like, I'm worn out. I don't have enough water. I'm dehydrated. The guys I'm with are feeling the same way. I'm like, do you guys want to go for it? Because I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, I mean, I'm kind of concerned that if we shoot this thing, we're going to be in bad shape because we don't have enough water. I mean, we had carried, we'd been carrying a bunch of water too. We're just out yeah and uh they're like now nah, let's do it I, I mean i agree we have a good chance so drop down in that bigger ditch get the wind in our favor and uh we kind of got down to that smaller ditch and i could see one of them or you know every once in a while i could see where one would be standing up looking down in that smaller ditch but they were all up at the head of that ditch right where right where it started to get to that flat and i knew that i mean i know they're all up there i had had a good visual on them from above and I knew the way that it laid it just at that different angle I was trying to find a good spot to get to him without being able to them being able to see us and um kept going up and I couldn't I just couldn't feel like I couldn't get any further because I could see the top of their horns or I could see one's back standing up and I'm like if we go too far we're gonna blow the whole thing so we kept just going up and trying different angles different angles and finally we kind of dropped way back got just enough terrain between us and them that I could peek up and I could see them and I could see them now that they were all bedded and I got a beat on the biggest one and just started to go for him using terrain, going slow, winds in our favor good and uh, just got to a point where we had like a little bit of a lip and as long as we could get right up to the top of that we could be able to see and right when we got there two of them stood up and they were like about 30 yards away but they were the smaller ones and I was like man I know that big one's in here somewhere (laughs) like I drew back or I ranged and then I I drew and I could tell these ones that stood up first they knew something was going on but I could just tell by their body language that they didn't know what was going on so I just drew back and the whole time I'm drawing back I'm looking with my eyes you know like where is he where's that big one and he stands up and I 
and I'm drawn back and I move my bow over towards him and he takes one one step and wheels and like he gets to where his vitals are behind a brush or sagebrush and I'm I'm like well missed my chance there so I just went right back over to the other ones and, <laughs> and I shot you know to be honest it was like yeah I'd love to have shot a big one but or the bigger one but to have crawled in on all those bucks without them knowing yeah. was like good enough and, and we had other tags so I didn't want to just be a selfish punk and just like no he's not big enough you know here we are the only time <laughs> I had a pronghorn at 30 yards and yeah bottom and I mean right through the heart and he didn't make it very far at all so it was awesome pretty awesome but then you know getting him out it wasn't it wasn't hard to get him out it was just the fact of like we're three miles it's 98 degrees right i've been out of water for two hours and like i i got that thing quartered up and in the pack and started to walk out faster than i've got anything else ever quartered in my life just because i was like I don't want to spend any more time out here than I have to because I'm afraid we're going to, I honestly thought there was a chance we might get, one of us might get heat stroke. It was that bad. Like it was, it was on the verge of probably being dangerous. Like everybody's heart rate was up a little bit and like, yeah. Oh yeah. You kind of couldn't get your heart rate back down. And I think that if you're doing that type of stuff, make, making sure you take water. And I mean, a lot like of more, it. yeah, more water than I think everybody should have, we had five liters between three of us and I think everybody should have had three liters for themselves because even in, even that you can't last all day. You can't hunt like oh. what you would do deer hunting. Cause it's not, and I mean, you can't escape the sun. So it was a cool experience. I, I mean, at the end of the day, like it was all awesome. I, I wouldn't ever do anything different, but there was a point where we were all like, yeah, that might've been, I might've been pushing it a little bit. <laughs> and like I've done some weird stuff. Like last year we got a buck and the, uh, me and uh, Grant and Dylan and Ted shot a buck like seven miles from the road in Nebraska. And like <laughs> that was pretty crazy and we got pretty cold and everything, but like this, the heat was worse. Like I would, yeah. I don't know. That was a little bit more scary to me just cause it was like, we're actually getting to a point where like, we're not sweating and it's 98 degrees you know something's wrong but right we made it we made it and yeah. i think next time we'll just be better prepared but it was awesome man it was such a fun thing and like just to be able to like continue to go from one pronghorn to the next is like you, know, you could blow a stock and and be like all right back to the truck and either on Whatever, the way back yeah. to the truck you'd spot one or as soon as you get back in the truck you go down the road a mile and find another one and yeah make a plan and i think a lot of it just comes down to like making the right decisions is one in a killable spot and if he is go for it and if he isn't be patient and hang with him or move on to the next one i think is the biggest thing because right. if you if you just keep going after every single one you see you're gonna blow most of those because most of the time they're in spots where you can't get more than like 80 yards from them or 100 yards from them right like if you do that all day every day you're gonna wear yourself out i think sometimes just making the right decision as far as like okay i'm gonna be patient here i know at some point he's gonna move into a position he's gonna get closer to some terrain feature that i can use to my advantage and just being patient for that is is the is my number one piece of advice for doing a pronghorn hunt spot and stop like yeah that. ah no that's a great that's a great piece um and i think that's something a lot of people uh don't want to accept 
mentally. You know what I mean? Like, and I've, I've gone through the same thing. It's like, no, I can make this, I can make this Mm -hmm. happen. Like if I'm patient, he's going to walk away and I'm not going to get the opportunity. If I just Mm -hmm. try it, you know, and I, and I think that's something that you learn over time is just like patience is, is going to win you more battles than aggressiveness in that, in that scenario. There's a, yeah. And I think Um, there's a fine line too. Yeah. Because like we were, we had been talking about this quite a bit. It's like, there's just, the more you do, I mean, I'm, I'm, as you, you probably know, you know, as far as listeners go, maybe not everybody knows, but I'm a big, big spot and stock deer hunter. Like I really like hunting deer on the ground. And I think the thing about when you're hunting like that, it's just, you have to have this mentality where you know you have to be slow, but as soon as you get the opportunity to like make a quick move and cut a bunch of distance and like get super aggressive, you got to just do it and like not overthink it. Like there were times where even pronghorn hunting, we look back and it's like, man, in that situation, you know, yeah, maybe we had even been crawling for two hours on our belly, but all of a sudden you get that one little window and you see the opportunity. It's like, take off and go. Maybe that even means jumping out of your two hour crawl and running. You know, right. sometimes it's just like, and, and with more experience and the more you try, the more you're going to realize that you get a feel for that. When those opportunities open up and when yeah. they close. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, and as I was saying that patience versus aggressiveness, that's it. That was, that was incorrect. I mean, you're right to correct me on that. Cause it's essentially patience for the right opportunity and then being mm-hmm. aggressive. And that's exactly. what, gets, that's what gets you where you want to be. And that's, I think that's a huge, like, that's something a lot of people you can really only get from experience and failing and, and figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, something that, uh, is really effective for Western hunters, especially that aren't in tree stands or anything. But then there's a great lead into, you know, hunting whitetails from the ground mm-hmm. in early season. Cause I've know you've done it and I know you've been successful at it. So like when, I mean, if people are in scenarios like m- myself, I'm always looking for a tree. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm always looking for a tree is because it gives me the, the advantage of getting out of their line of sight and then hopefully having better wind and being able to see them before they see me. And there's just a whole lot of advantages there. But if mm-hmm. you're if you're in scenarios, you know, I'm sometimes fearful when I get into scenarios where I can only hunt from the ground. I'm like, ah, this is a great area, but I can only hunt from the ground. I can only hunt right here. Um, I'm kind of like, man, can I find can I find a different place? Can I find a different place that has on the same trail that might be closer or further from the bedding where I can get in a tree? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you find yourselves in those scenarios for ground hunting, what like as it pertains to you know, early season, how does that, well, I guess, I mean, ground hunting can be any season, but how does, how do you go about looking at that and, and getting set up and everything? Zach, I lost you. Can you hear me? Yep. Now I can. Okay. I think the coolest thing about early season is, is like you have max cover for tree stand or ground hunting, right? Like, um, but it's also your disadvantage in early season too, is sometimes it's hard to find, um, just find a buck. So, you know, I think of two, you know, I really think of two diff- different, um, basic, or in a basic sense, like there's two different 
types of things that I'm looking for early season. If I'm looking for an open ground situation, so like we're going to North Dakota, um, that's kind of open ground stuff or Nebraska that I've hunted in the past early season. Um, or you've got like, you know, maybe a Minnesota opener or a Wisconsin opener that's mid-September or even, you know, a lot of states open on October 1st. And we kind of talked about that first two weeks of October being that early season, about, you know, now, you know, September 1 until two weeks into October, that's kind of that early season time frame, And that, that yep. covers so many different scenarios. So, you know, just generally speaking, I would say you're on one hand, an advantage is, is you've got a bunch of cover. And it also a disadvantage is that you got a bunch of cover. So like sometimes <laughs> right. finding one is a hard thing to do. So I guess to, I guess, let me, let me, let me just use a couple different examples of like how I'm going to lo just from one locate one early season. Yeah. It's like if it's open ground stuff, thinking about like things like water, um, you know, early September, deer aren't just going to be way up in the hills and be way far away from water. I'm not saying that they're not going to be, um, you know, obviously in, in big timber settings, they're going to be not necessarily right along a river, but a lot of times you're going to be in close proximity to that water. It's a good, really good starting point. It's just like thinking, where's the water? Where's the water source? September, it's probably going to be hot, whether you're in Minnesota or you're in Nebraska, like, looking for that water is something that they're going to be kind of central or, you know, it's, it's a starting point. So if I'm out West, for example, I'm getting up to a high point. Um, and it's sometimes easier said than done, just like, but I just get on a map. I look for a place that I can potentially see a lot of ground, a lot of potential bedding area, getting up high. And I'm just going to spend a lot of time classing and trying to understand what those deer are doing. That's what we've done in Nebraska in the past. And, you know, a lot of times what ends up happening is, is we either get a feel for what the deer are doing and we can move in on that and kind of set up or, you know, continue to scout in those areas and kind of continue to shrink that area where we think a big buck is. Um, or we're just like, okay, this spot is not holding a lot of bucks, just does. Let's move on to the next. And on the flip side though, you know, you can look at a um, habitat where, maybe you've got a little bit more crop field mix. Like I think of, I think of Wisconsin, a lot of Wisconsin and Minnesota is a pretty good example just because they open usually mid September. Um, if I was going to go into those areas, I would look for food sources that, you know, kind of a destination food source where big bucks are potentially making it to in the dark. I don't even, I'm not trying to find, I'm never on public land trying to find, trying to hunt a deer on a field, edge, a big buck on a field edge. Um, you know, you can hunt deer on a field edge and kill deer on public land in a field just fine. But generally speaking, big bucks, in my experience, aren't just going to waltz out into a field unless it's some real weird, like low pressure area. But you know, even in Iowa, we don't see that very often when that's pretty low pressure. So I guess to start, I mean, the biggest thing that I want to do is just go see where the sign is coming into those fields. Because like, let's say we have an alpha, well, let's say we're in Minnesota, we're in southern Minnesota or something. And 
there's a bunch of alfalfa fields there or like Western Wisconsin, you can find the same thing. You got a big alfalfa field or a big bean field or whatever it may be. And you're talking about a lot of edge there where deer can be laying down sign, whether that be tracks, scrapes, rubs, just trails entering that field. And a lot of times just simply walking those edges is helping us put together a plan for like, okay, if we've locked this whole field edge and we've locked like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of yards around this whole perimeter and there's no scrapes on it, moving on, like continuing to go, like no interest in hunting there. Sure, there might be a bunch of does there, but you know, if there's not a bunch of big buck sign out on that edge, then I know he's not in there. So let's say though, on the flip side, we do two or three of those. First two, nothing. There's no buck sign, no big buck tracks doe tracks and some deer sign but nothing that's jumping out like ooh, this is worth hunting but then let's say on field number three we get back in there and there's you know every trail in this one section of the field every trail that comes out there's a big scrape there's big buck tracks there's rubs going in and out of the field that's now like okay now we know that we can start in this area this is now the area that we want to kind of focus on a little bit yeah. I think so when you're that, looking when you're looking ahead. at it when you're looking at a new piece uh of public or private or anything, this is generally your starting point then is starting at those field edges and just trying to find where all the sign is. Or <clears throat> sorry, or I mean I I hate to limit it to field edges too because there's a lot of guys out there that'll say, um I don't have fields. There yeah, are fields on the field. Yeah. You know, we're, we're hunting big timber, right. we're hunting down south, we're hunting uh, I mean, even in, even in like New York, for example, it's just like when I was hunting there, like you don't have the field edge. So what I'm looking for in that situation is, is I'm looking for different edges. Like, okay. If I don't have a field. What's a different type of edge that I can go cover that, that sure. transition between that big timber and maybe a clear cuts, a great example, a, maybe a fire. Yeah. An area where there was a fire, maybe an area where um, a windstorm came through. Any habitat transition is like a really good starting point. So even down, even down uh, uh, southern southern Wisconsin, where you're dealing with the big marsh areas, um, you know, you can assume that you know if you've done if you've been doing your 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 research in those areas, if you're hunting again, hunting. I'm talking, you know, hunting bigger bucks. It's like if you're hunting a marsh, it's pretty easy to figure out that like you got to go deep in there. But if you're going to hunt in there, it's hard to just dive right into a piece and like commit a bunch of time to it. And I think that's one thing that everybody kind of, I just shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people kind of make a bad habit of doing it. And I've done in the past is like, I got to go in, season's starting, I got to get set up and like, I got to be ready. I'm hunting. Well, I, I don't want to hunt until I know I'm hunting something that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I think it's easy to like, I got to be set up. I got to be ready to go. And like, it has to be the perfect situation. It's like a lot of times that's just the season opening is just the beginning of the hunt. Like you're on a hunt to find one. And until you kind of work those edges and can figure out where one's coming, moving through an area or making it to a different area, because again, let's say we're in a, let's say we're in Southern Ohio, um, hill country and you're, 
you're dealing with this just gigantic monotonous you know hilly ridge systems that are um timbered you know it's like yeah. if you're just going in there and setting up blind chances of one being right exactly where you are early in the season are pretty low but if you are scouting maybe ridge tops and you're working transition lines um, where there's clear cut or, you know, old clear cuts and different types of clear cuts and you're finding buck sign entering and exiting those areas. Now you can zone in on a spot where you can tell they're spending more time. And um, I guess what it comes down to really for me and what, what I'll, 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 I always talk about a lot at this point because it's about all I do is just in season scout. Like I don't put okay. a lot of weight on sign that I've seen in the past because I want to know what's going on right now. Um, if I do scout in the off season, the only thing I'm trying to do is learn the lay of the land and like what deer may be doing and what habitat features and vegetation types they may bed in. Then in season, I'm going back and just figuring out which ones exactly the deer are spending their time in for the time that I'm there hunting. Yeah. So, so no, that's kind of all over the place and maybe didn't even answer <laughs> that much about the ground hunting, but that's kind of just, no. that's just a starting point. Yeah. And, and you bring up some good points, which is like in the early season, the reason finding sign and finding active sign in the active areas is, is so important is because bucks home ranges are generally smaller. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, during the rut, it might be, it might be 700 acres. It might be a thousand acres, 2000 acres. Right. But during the summer, their home range might only be 50 acres or 80 Mm -hmm. acres or a hundred acres, just because they have so much food. They don't really need to travel. They're not really too interested in does. They've kind of set up their territory, right? This is where they belong, where they've booted out the other, other bucks that are after their area and after their food sources, like this is kind of their house. So in the early season, you know, finding that fresh sign, really gives that advantage to being like, okay, he is here. So he's somewhere in here. And it's not like I'm going to sit here and he's going to be three miles away because he's mm-hmm. not, he's going to be somewhere within probably four or 500 yards. It's just, are you set up in the right location to catch him that day? Right. 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 The yeah. other thing that, that I think is really important that you pointed out is that you're looking for that fresh sign today because um, as we progress through early season and we hit that October, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth time frame, bucks start really, really start feeling like a pre-rut, mm-hmm. and then sign changes, activity changes, kind of that home range starts to grow, and what you knew last year doesn't always apply to what happens this year. Historical data is very important, but. I mean, you could have been hunting or close to a good buck last year that liked to use, you know, these three trails and Mm -hmm. he liked to, you know, spend his time on these three trails and, and have these food sources. And then he gets killed in November. And now a new buck has kind of taken over that house. And that new buck doesn't really like those three trails. He likes these three and he likes these other food sources over here. And so that historical data now is a little bit skewed and it's going to, it's going to throw you off unless you stay on the active active sign yeah and i think i mean i'm not i'm not uh i'm not dogging on the style it's just one of the reasons that i quit hunting out of a tree stand or a tree or at least at least only limiting myself to that is because 
I think I look back on the times where I invested so much time on like, I'm going to scout and I'm going to look for where I've seen this, you know, so for example, I would go into an area and I'm going to, in the February, January, and I'd walk the whole piece and I would know every single trail. I would know where every single rub line was and everything, but then I would just like toss this setup at it where it'd be like, okay, that rub line is going to be hot or I'm going to set up on that scrape where the licking branch was all twisted up. I'm going to sit on that on this date. And I would just put all my effort into that one time. And it wasn't very efficient because what was happening was, is it's like, it's just a series setting up to me felt like a series of guesses based off of what I was doing when I was scouting um, in the off season where now it doesn't really like, it takes a lot for me to stop, you know, like it's gotta be the perfect spot. But when I do, when I do stop, I'm usually in, I'm like pretty much right away because that's just where they are. That's where the sign is. So like, for example, what I would do in the past is it would be early October in Iowa and I would go and I would set up on these spots that I would think were so good. And when the deer weren't even there, so I'd waste a whole night's hunt, not gain any new information, and not see anything or not see a big buck or whatever. And like, I just invested a lot of time that didn't really get me that much where now if I go and I just continue to move throughout the day, the afternoon, whatever, I gain new information. And if I start to get, you know, to where I'm feeling like I'm around stuff, I could slow down and, you know, set up or whatever for the last hour or two of daylight. And, just generally speaking, the um, the it just feels a lot more productive, I guess. Let's put it that way. And and I do think that a lot of guys get in a habit that's very similar. And as far as efficiency goes, like I'm always thinking, how can I become more efficient so that way, if somebody is watching me and they don't have as much time to hunt as me, they can take what I've learned. And, you know, like a lot of people aren't like, like my dad, for example, like my dad, you know, works Monday through Friday, every single week, you know, he doesn't hunt as much as I do, but how can he take what I'm doing and put it into his more limited time and, and still be successful. Yeah. Successful. So, you know, I guess then um, the other advantage to being on the ground, I mean, there's, there's so many, but like, to me, I just feel like it's easy to just go in, set up, and if you're feeling it, stay there, but if you're not feeling it, just like keep moving, or if you see something off in the distance and you need to keep moving, it's an easy transition. You don't have to pull everything down. You don't have to like, yeah. it's just so much it's so hard to explain. And honestly, I hate trying to explain. I do and I don't because you get to a point with the experience with it where you're not worried anymore. There's no, I'm so, it feels so like I'm not tied down in any way. There's no agenda. I go hunting and I feel it out. Just make moves when it makes sense to me to make moves. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's just about like kind of diving into it and just going for it and not being at first it's intimidating and you're going to feel like there's no way I'm going to shoot a deer off the ground, let alone a big buck. But the more you right. do it, 
and then you do it. <laughs> yeah, the more you do it, the more you start <laughs> to realize that you can get away with a lot more than you think. And um, honestly, I there you you mentioned one thing that I that I would like to I would like to basically uh, completely disagree with you on. Okay, you said, being in a tree hopefully gets me better wind. On the ground, I've got winded way less than ever in a tree stand like way 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 less than a tree stand really mm-hmm. like i wouldn't even I, I almost don't even like the our our we've made the milkweed thing popular right like right people love the milkweed well dan and, and dan was the, the person that made dan and fault and then we started doing it and i feel like the combination of everybody doing it, it's like everybody uses milkweed now the milkweed to me on the ground is almost just like kind of a pain. Like all I want to know is where the wind's blowing right here because on the ground, that's all the further it goes. Once you get up in a tree stand, yeah, your wind is going way down there because you're elevated and there's so much more ground downwind that that air, there's basically more open air for your scent to travel. To go, yeah. When I'm on the ground, usually what's behind me is just a bunch of trees or brush or tall grass right. or whatever. And it just stuffs that scent like i've had deer go downwind of me and not smell me until they're like 20 or 30 yards away but you get up in a tree stand and deer will smell you like 100 yards out or so far that you don't even see it but like on the ground i feel like it's way way different and you know i kind of just really only want to know if the winds hit me in the face i'm good whatever's happening back there i'm not too worried about it because it's not going that far but you elevate yourself now it's going a long way and yeah. now you have to be concerned about it drifting out there 40 50 yards and then cutting back this way where again when you're on the ground it just kind of gets stuffed down into the grass and the brush and i can definitely i can definitely see that point of view too and i i think it's very i think it's scenario dependent for sure um, there are definitely times where i would agree with myself of course <laughs> but there's a but but i but i can easily see that point because when i think about wind you know someone explained it once this way and, and if you think about it like like water like water flowing through a creek yep. like when it's hitting you in the face where is it going after that and if you're you know 20 feet up in a tree it's definitely got 20 feet further to go down you know, mm-hmm. it can stay up high, it can go down, it can go up, it can go all sorts of directions. Sure. But when you're on the ground, it's pretty much like it's going to go right behind you, you know, within the next 10, mm-hmm. 15 yards. And then, especially if you're in the evening and it's cooling and everything's falling to the ground, like then you're good. The, no, one, thing, I, the one thing I will say though, that it's kind of like a, is similar to, or I guess the, the, when you talked about the water thing, it, Uh, puts it into perspective maybe is there is one thing about on the ground is sometimes you just kind of feel like you have this bubble around you where like anything gets inside of five yards no matter which direction it's just like especially on a calm night it's like it's just sitting in this area (laughs) where like where I don't feel like you get that as much in a tree stand even on a calm night because it's gonna let's say you're up in an elevated position it's just gonna drop down and yeah and go still downwind but like when Think about the water hitting a boulder in an eddy creating, you know, in yeah, that area. It's right kind of that it. same thing where it's like, it'll just kind of sit in there sometimes. Kind of you, that, yeah. You kind of make your own swirl. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't ever have as much of an issue though, I guess in the grand scheme of it, I don't ever feel like I have too bad of a 
wind wind really i mean i'm conscious of the predominant wind direction but like i'm just not overly concerned about it if it feels good and i'm on the ground and i'm moving in on something or i'm you know setting up i man i don't know this is tough too because like i've just got to a point where i really don't i wouldn't even consider myself last year i don't know that i set up i killed <laughs> bucks but i don't know that i ever set up you know more than just stopped like, in a spot right i i, I mean it's like you, no, you're there, kind of just feeling there's it. something like uh super freeing about that i mean i'm in it just from listening to you talk about it now it, it makes me interested in it because every every hunter has been in a situation and i'm gonna go with one of your episodes last year where you're in a tree and you got all set up and everything you got everything squared away and you just feel like you feel more comfortable you feel safer you're like this is how people do it this is how i should be doing it I know that the deer are, I saw a buck at like 70 yards and then I saw another one at 80 yards and I'm kind of like, I just want them to come closer to me. Well, why don't you move closer to them? Mm -hmm. And you know, Ted's buck last year was a perfect example. You were with him on that hunt, right? Jake was. Oh, Jake was. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they were up in a tree and these deer were moving just out of range. They got down and just went on the ground and the third one came through and bam, they got him. right. A really right. nice mature deer. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, like you said, it's, you don't need to, like, you just go to an area, you find kind of that thick wall of brush and then the opening outside of that thick wall where you think they might be bedding and then past that there's some sort of destination food source, right? There's some sort mm -hmm. of acorns or apples or egg right. field or whatever the hell you think they're going to. Mm -hmm. You find that opening between there and you get squared away. And then if, if you sit there long enough, you're like, man, there just really isn't a good enough sign. You just stand up and walk to the next one. Yeah. Right. right? You don't exactly. need to tear down a platform. You don't need to tear exactly. down all your sticks and load them all back up and everything and, and move. You just stand up and move. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I did a podcast uh, yesterday for our podcast with uh, a guy in Southern Wisconsin and he hunts a lot of marsh areas like the cattail marsh areas and he, he hunts all off the ground he's never killed a buck shot some giant bucks in those cattail marshes at like five yards in the cattails on the ground never killed one out of a stamp and i i just thought that was super cool and i enjoyed the conversation with him and i learned a lot from him and his style and i got to thinking i was i was working out afterwards and i'm standing there and i'm thinking why is it that everybody like feels the need to get in a tree like all of a sudden one day it's just like everybody had to be in a tree stand like that's how you hunted whitetails and, and i mean you ask people still to this day and you don't do it any other way you can't <laughs> we, we were doing a we were doing a podcast with <laughs> we were doing a podcast with somebody at one point uh this past january and they said like well you, with whitetails you just can't make anything you can't make anything happen i'm like I don't know about that. I kind of do that all the time, <laughs> you know, and it's, just, it's funny how like there's this rule thing that kind of, I, I call it the rule of book where everybody said that you have to do it this way and you can use a tree stand every time by all means. But like, I see it more now as like this tool. I'm not saying I'm never going to shoot a deer out of a tree stand again, but it's going to have to be the right situation for me to be like, okay, I can't get ground cover. Um, you know, to me, the ability to just jump up and move really fast outweighs any advantage that I get out of a tree stand, unless there's nothing else. Like if I can't get into a, tr into a ground setup and be comfortable with the cover that I have, 
um, you know, then I will get into a tree stand if that's the best option. But it's just a tool that you can use to up your odds where I don't think it's something that you, you only have to do. Does that make sense? Like I just yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. somehow like a tool. It's like, like yeah, yeah, I make it a comparison between uh, like tree stands and saddles. They're just, mm -hmm. tools. you don't right. have to use one or the other. Right. You know, like it's, it's just a tool to get to a means to an end. There's some tree, like I was looking at a tree and I'm, I'm at my aunt and uncle's house right now. And I was looking at a tree out in the front of their yard. And I was like, man, that'd be a hell of a tree for a tree stand. Not a tree saddle. It doesn't work that way. This the way that that tree sets up. That's a tree stand tree. Yep. I would prefer if I'm going to get into a tree to use a saddle. But again, not every single situation is perfect for it. And, I, and, and, and not every single situation is perfect for on the ground. I just think that having as a deer hunter i think we should all do a better job of just thinking of all of the options and not just right. kind of tunnel visioning into this one specific type of, of of doing it and i think yeah you know i uh go ahead sorry a I, year, yeah a i year. also know one thing too i also know that i'm not talking enough about early season so i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no i think i think everybody can relate this to early season though because one of the things about getting in a tree in early season, and I got a, I got a story to tell, but I want to say this first is uh, there's, there's so much cover. So most of the time I find myself at like 12 feet or less because I don't have any shooting lanes. If I get to 16 or, or oh, 20 yeah. feet and unless you're on private where you trim all those out, like it's kind of pointless. It's, it's right. worthless. And you, a lot of times in the early season, you have better and longer shooting lanes on the ground or closer yep. to the ground. Right. Yep. So I, I think that's very relatable to early season. And then also just that whole cover aspect is very relatable to early season mm -hmm. as well. Um, the, the story I want to tell is I was in, I was on in a marsh. I was on kind of like an Island. Um, it was maybe like 130 yards long. And I knew they kind of bedded on one end. Um, the rest of it was all open. And then one end was pretty thick and it dropped off into the marsh. And that was also very thick. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew they were kind of in that area one of the best bucks I've ever seen in my life. He had two drop tines, like a two inch and like a four inch drop tine walks in. And I see him walk into the Oak Island from the swamp at like 60 yards, 70 yards. He's in it's I'm in a, I'm in a big Oak. Um, one that like, you know, you, you, you really reach around to get your straps and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm in a big Oak and there's all these little small, you know, just brushy, brushy things, not like thick, you know, thick brush or anything, just like bean poles all over the place. Yeah. Right. He comes in and he just beds down in one for an hour at 40 yards. Um, and he's 10 point with two drop tines. I was taking pictures of him with my camera and everything. And I was stuck in that tree. I couldn't move is that I, if I was on the ground, I could have shot him. Mm -hmm. Right. And yep. he got up and, and moved around and, and, and then a doe came running through with a spike. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal evening all around. Um, I ended up getting, I was in a saddle. I got out of my, I got out of my saddle and onto the ground and I started making a move towards him. And then all hell broke loose again. And I panicked and ran back to my tree and got up in the tree. Like, cause everything was just going chaos. Yeah. Um, there was now all of a sudden there were three bucks, one doe, and then the big boy. And they're all burning around in here. And this is on public, mind you, this isn't private piece. And I don't know what to do. And so then I, like I said, I get back in the tree. If I would have just stayed on the ground, 
he would have given me a 15 yard shot broadside chasing this doe. And because I didn't, I got back in that tree. He came through at about 25 yards behind the brush and I couldn't shoot him. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I just needed in that scenario, I just needed to open my mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I had pre-scouted that all I had to do was take some of that deadfall and throw up a a small blind. And now I'm great. Now I'm golden. Right. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's, that's an anecdote for why I I should start doing that more. I mean, I really should. I think it's, I think it's just one of those things that again, like I, I, somewhere, some, somewhere probably in the nineties, you know, somebody was like, Hey, tree stands are pretty awesome. And like, they are, (laughs) but then it just like somehow everybody did it. Like, I mean, people, when I tell people I shoot deer off the ground, they're just like, what? And like, it's not even like, it's not that different. It really isn't. And it doesn't, yeah, there's a learning curve there, but there was a learning curve when you first started hunting out of a tree stand, like finding how to create shooting lanes or make shooting, or, you know, set up with shooting yeah. lanes and not draw back and hit your bow on the tree that you're sitting on or not get your, your safety harness hung up on you or, you know, all these things that they're like things that you mess up when you're a young bow hunter in a tree stand. You do the same thing when you get out of the tree stand. You're going to have times where like, like here's a great example. My, my good friend, Ben, who I do a lot of hunting with when I first started ground hunting, I was like, dude, you got to start doing this. And you know, he did it in his first year, had a buck come in seven yards, making a scrape. He draws back, puts a pin on him, shoots. And because he was on the ground, he had that like little bit of cover in front of him. His arrow just went straight into the cover and he missed him. And like, he basically just shot straight into like the junk right in front of him. (laughs) And like, you know, that's just one of those things. I think it's very similar to drawing back in a tree stand and bumping your elbow on the release and your whole arm shakes and you miss him, you know? And it's like, there's so many things that are similar. It's just a different type of learning. And I think kind of getting into or getting out of your comfort zone with it a little bit at first is it's intimidating, but you end up, let's put it this way. Most of the time when you go hunting, you don't have success same thing's going to happen when you're on the ground, but eventually it will work out. And, you know, I think, I do believe when you continue to improve your skills at it, I I personally believe that if you're somebody that's in, in good shape and can move around pretty good, like being on the ground is way more efficient than being a tree stand, but set in a, in a single, it's essentially being set in a single point in a tree versus, Mm -hmm. you know, three, four, five, six points from being on the ground. Right. Yeah. What do you like, so then obviously like the major question I can see people asking about that is like, well, now you're spreading your scent everywhere. You're going everywhere and doing everything, yeah. but you don't, you don't seem to care about that. I mean, right? I think the one thing that I, the one thing that I've noticed a lot about it is like, I think what happens is, is like people think about scent, but they again, only think about scent in one situation and that's being in a tree stand. Well, yeah. If you set up in one tree stand, and deer smell you, yeah, they're probably not coming back to that exact spot. But like, a lot of times I'm moving through an area. So for example, let's say this, this is just a very good example talking about early season and ground hunting, right? So if I'm going into an area, and let's say it's early October, it's first two weeks of October, there's very specific things that I'm looking for, or, or better yet, let's just say I'm in mid-September, I love that time frame because that's the only time frame in the world that like if you find a fresh rub like he's in there right now because they haven't been rubbing that long 
You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if you find yeah. a rub in, in late October, they've been rubbing for two months. But if you find a rub in mid-September, like that probably happened in the last two weeks. So yeah. oh, big yeah. time focus at that time frame. That's something maybe I should have mentioned too. Like if I'm hunting early season in September, like the next month that I'm hunting, I am only looking for fresh rubs as far as like, a starting point and if I find those fresh rubs I'm feeling good it doesn't have I mean you know scrapes a great thing too but again like deer can kind of hit scrapes throughout I mean I've seen deer hit licking branches in March in May does you know it doesn't matter necessarily what the time of the year is they're going to the those focal areas where trails intersect where where a scrape is or licking branches but if I find a if I find a fresh rub in mid-September, like I'm really focusing on that. Okay. So let's say I'm moving through the, this area and I am walking a transition line. I'm also not going directly into a bedding area. I'm not just diving straight into a bedding area. You know, you can tell generally speaking, just for the sake of dumbing it down, like there's a thicket and it meets up with hardwoods and open hardwoods. I'm assuming the deer is not bedding in the open hardwoods. I'm assuming it's bedding in the thicket. So I'm gonna walk that area between those two looking for sign entering and exiting it. So let's say even if the buck is in that thick area and he leaves that thick area, smells me walking on the outskirts of it. I totally think that him smelling my ground scent is not nearly as much of an impact and I mean, I know it isn't because I've watched, I've watched it happen. I know the deer are smelling me through these areas I've already been through, but I don't think it has nearly the impact as where if you were to set up on that edge on the ground or in the stand and he comes out and he smells you, that's an impact. Ground scent, yeah, they, they definitely pay attention to it and, and especially in the moment, but like coyotes run down an edge all the time. Wolves run down an edge all the time. Those deer smell that. Does that mean when a deer goes out of the marsh and he hits the old, let's say we're in Minnesota or northern Wisconsin or something, and a deer goes out of the marsh and he walks out and he hits the high ground and he smells where a pack of wolves went through. Does that mean he leaves the area? Hell no. Like, does he take note of that and think, I better watch my ass now? Yes, but he's not going to like leave the area completely because he smelled something on the ground. Now, if he goes out on that edge, and he's downwind of a pack of wolves, now he's going to run the heck out of there. Like, <laughs> but you right. know what I'm saying? I, I, so, so I guess my, my um, comeback to that is I just don't see that it's that much of an impact. It can sure everywhere I've ever been doing it. I mean, I'll walk right along the edge of a bedding area where I know you know, bucks are spending their time and they're in there the next day. You know, it's just a matter yeah. of like getting caught in the moment or getting caught after. I think that if you get caught after, they give you a little bit more leeway. Um, same within a tree stand, you know, if they smell you, if they're gonna, you know, the yeah. deer's gonna smell you where you got into a tree that night. You know, when he leaves that bedding area, if you don't see him and he comes through there and he comes past, he, same thing he's gonna, yeah he's gonna be like, oh, yeah, i know you're here so if you go back to that tree chances are he's not coming right back to that same tree and i think whether you're on the ground on the ground or you're in a tree stand i think it's really important to continue to like 
bounce because deer do smell these areas where we become stationary. So if I set up on the ground, I don't ever set up in the same exact spot unless I really think there's a reason to do that again. Right. Or unless you're able to get in there like pretty much perfectly and get out of there and it's not on a deer trail and there's no reason for them to go that way or anything like that. One, one other thing, because I don't want to forget it and I don't want to run out of time here. One thing that I want to talk about is um, for early season specifically is, um, and you can do this a lot of other times of the year too, but that's my favorite time to just bump the heck out of a buck. Like, I'll just straight plow through his stuff to try to spook a big one. And the reason is, is like, if, <laughs> yeah, I know it's out there, but like, oh, if you, if you you're wild, Zach, <laughs> no, no one believes anything you say anymore. <laughs> hey, you, I got videos about it. No, I love it. I love it, man. So I'm, like, I'm totally open to any, anything that's going to help me. I'm totally open to trying it. And I think a lot of people should be more that way and not be like dismiss anything right away without trying it. I mean, it works. Like, yeah, you know, I had heard, I had heard about bump and dump. Yeah. I'd heard about the bump and dump thing. And, and, uh, Andre DeQuisto has like kind of a person that, you know, I guess talked about it first. And to be honest, I didn't understand it for the longest time until I kind of accidentally came about it. And that first buck that I shot in Nebraska um, three seasons ago was 100% a bump and dump, like just straight up pushed deer. I was doing a deer drive, essentially. Uh, We were doing a wind bump and I let my scent drift through this, what was pretty obvious a bedding area and a big buck or a bigger buck than what we'd been seeing jumped out of it. We ended up going, to make a long story short, we ended up giving it a day break and hunted it the next two days after that and ended up killing him at 8.30 in the morning on September 20th, milling around in the bedding area. Shot him at 10 yards out of a low tree stand, about 10 feet off the ground. So like, point. I guess the, the point is, and in, in kind of why I believe that to be a thing now is when you're dealing with deer early in the season, one of the main focuses that you'll hear people talk about and like kind of the old classic, like TV type, I think of it as like the TV type uh, strategy for early season. is like, look for where the beans are still green or like where the alfalfa is. And like, yeah, no kidding. I mean, anybody that has a pair of eyes and binoculars can tell that that's where the deer are ultimately destination feeding. But like on public land where you're dealing with other hunters and pressure, you know, you know, a lot of places in the country, a big buck just doesn't make a habit of walking out into those things in daylight ever, you know, maybe in the middle of summer, but like, you know, he just isn't doing it. So yes, they feed in those areas, but I don't pay much attention to where they're going to make it in daylight. I'm trying to think of where they're bedding. So because, so, so, okay. So we know that's common knowledge that certain food sources are the ticket that early time of the year. Like, yeah, especially in field country. And I'm, I am going to talk just briefly on field country just because it's an easy example, but you can take this anywhere. You just have to find the right specific food source for that time of the year. And that varies a lot across the country. Let's say we've got an alfalfa field and we know there's a pile of deer feeding in this alfalfa field and we're in Wisconsin in the hill country. It's like, yeah, there's a bunch of deer feeding in there and they're on a summer type pattern. But a summer pattern 
is only ever referred to as just a feeding pattern. When they're feeding like that, they're also making a habitual bedding habit to where like they're comfortable, man. Like they've been feeding out in that alpha, alpha, alpha field every day for the last like month. He's feeling pretty loose in his bedding area. He's pretty comfortable. So if you go through and you bump him out of there and you're the first person to bump him out real early in the season, like chances are he's coming back the next day or the next couple days. You know, at that point in the year, he hasn't been hit with that like continual pressure to where like one guy's going in and every time he goes out into that field, he's smelling more and more human sign. He's hearing people drive down the road, shutting truck doors. Like very early in the season, you can kind of take advantage of just finding one that way. And actually both the bucks I've shot with my bow in Nebraska have been straight up bumping them because the second one I shot, we bumped with a vehicle. There was a, a, a road. It was a, it was a road that you could drive down to the middle of this piece of public land. And before we invested time walking it, we we're like, well, let's just drive through and see what it looks like. See what the habitat looks like. We're driving down the road. Doe jumps up, decent buck jumps up buck that I would have shot. And as we're turning the truck around, cause I'm like, well, let's get out of here now. We know they're in here. Like we need to get boots on the ground and not be driving. As yeah. we're turning the truck around, big buck jumps up and he jumps up and he runs out of the bedding area. So we hunt it that night, end up, end up seeing that smaller buck coming right back into the bedding area. Very classic, like bump and dump. He bumps him out. We bump him out of there, turns around, he comes right back because he feels safe there. Ended up seeing him, almost got a shot at the smaller one. Two days later, we come in to that bedding area, same bedding area, and I glass the bigger one. And I crawl to 20 yards and I shoot him. And it, like as soon as he steps out of his bed. So like we bumped him out of there. That's how we located him. Went back in there and he's right back in that same spot. So like if you have deer that are habitually bedding somewhere in the summer, they've got a summer bedding pattern. If you bump them out of there, a lot of times, I'm a, I'm of a, I'm a firm believer of that bump and dump thing early in the season. Like to the point where when I go to Nebraska next week, if I'm not glassing up big bucks, I'm going to just start walking through the middle of the bedding areas and just trying to kick them up like rabbits. And I'm not, I'm, and I'm not kidding. I mean, I know it sounds. No, no, it's awesome. TV, I love it. Like, it's so, it's so different. It's so different. Um, but it's effective. Like I, yeah. I love it. Like I, you're seeing the expression on my face of like, you're fucking crazy, but it's really, I want to, it's like, what's going on in my head is I, I want to try this. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to see it for myself. And mm-hmm. so I'm like sitting here processing different bedding areas that I know of where this could work. Um, I, think it's, I yeah. think it's also a thing too, or like if you're on a trip or something and you're early season hunting or, or maybe you're away from home and you know, you're not like, even you're the type of guy that like, it's just driving two hours to go hunt a different piece of public land or a different property away from home. And you know, you're not going to be there. Maybe you've got obligations the following two weekends. You're not going to be back for half a month. What do you have to lose, especially middle of the day when, you know, if, if I think when you're hunting public land, one other thing that I should speak on is like, when you're hunting public land, you have to have this like really open mindset to the fact that like you can't just have spots in my opinion at least at least um the way that me and a lot of my friends hunt is you don't have spots you have this whole area to play with so you should have like 
infinite, I mean, depending on the size of the piece or pieces around, right. like you should kind of have infinite options. Like, okay, if this doesn't work, we're going to go straight to this next best spot or, or, or the list goes on and on and on. So let's say, even if you're the type of guy that you're like, nah, Zach's, Zach's full of it. I'm going to still go get in my tree stand and set up on the sign that I found in the off season. Even if you're doing that type of stuff, middle of the day, like an early season, what are you doing? I mean, you're taking a nap at camp. Yeah, that's not overly right. productive. Eat lunch out, you know, on a high point glass and, and then maybe move through some of these bedding areas. Try to figure out something for your future hunts because if you're not scouting in season, you're really just taking a bunch of stabs. You're looking at the map and you're just putting, like you're stabbing a sit at spots. And like, right. you're just hopeful where I feel like if you're scouting in season, you all of a sudden are like, nah, I'm going to kill one tonight because his sign's coming out of that bedding area. He's using these trails because I can see big buck tracks going in and out of, you know, these two trails that are at 20 and 40 yards. I'm going to set up right here. And now, you know, versus taking some sort of like guess and based on a satellite or topo map and then just like saying I'm going to hunt here and then not being open to, well, there ain't a whole lot of sign here. So I'm going to move, you know, you stuck in the set of, nah, I'm going to hunt here. I mean, and you think about it too, and, and this is the track that I got myself into, you know, you're, you're carrying gear in, you've got a tree stand or a tree saddle and you've got your sticks and you've got all this stuff bogging you down. And like my buddy Hayden said, said it, says it best. He's like, dude, I used to go into places all the time and I would scout my way in. And he's like, I would keep scouting and scouting and scouting. And I eventually just get to a point where I'm like, I got to just set up because I'm tired of carrying all this stuff. And he would just set up and then he'd be like, all the time I found myself sitting there thinking, man, I should have just kept going. I should have just kept looking. I should have went back to where I was. And, and, um, you know, I think it's easy to sit there and overthink things. And if you, and if you're on the ground and you're not tied to, um, a location, yeah, a location, then you're just like, okay, yeah, I'm not feeling it here. I'm going to go back over there and it only takes 20 minutes versus an hour or whatever. And, you know, the, I think, again, I'm saying all this with still not, not saying that you shouldn't use tree stands or whatever. I'm just saying, remember that they are the tool that can help you become more effective, efficient in the right situation. But if you're not, if you're not around them, then like, it doesn't matter. Like you're just, you're just being hopeful. I don't like to be hopeful, especially when the majority of us don't have as much time to hunt as we like. I mean, we don't all have the ability to just go. Uh, I hunt a lot, right? Um, but even on these trips that I'm going on, I'm doing it for like a week. You know, here in Nebraska or in uh, North Dakota, we're going for a week. So it's not like I have a full season's worth of of hunting to fill my North Dakota. I got to go do it in six six days. And in in Nebraska, too, in the past, these hunts that I'm referring to, like, these aren't season-long endeavors. This is a six-day trip in the early season. I don't have all kinds of time to just be like, I hope, I hope, I hope. It's like I got to know before I put any amount of sitting or, like, stationary hunting into it. And I always get to that point to where I am focused in on an area. But it takes a lot more to it than just, like, looking at a map and, and, you know, there are a lot of great resources out there to, to speed that process up. By all means, look at a map, try to figure stuff out, but 
go check it and make sure that the sign is there. Make sure the deer are there because it's so easy to go hunting and hunt a spot and hunt something that looks good versus something that, and maybe it is. I mean, heck, maybe, maybe in two weeks that spot is going to light up and you couldn't do anything wrong other than to not go to that spot. But in September, it may not be holding any big bucks. I mean, they may be a half mile you know, down the ridge or quarter mile down the ridge right. and you're not even in the game. So I just, I don't mean to, I don't mean to, um, uh, put anything down or like put any strategy down necessarily. I just really hope that people, if they are making setups, that they're at least taking the time to make sure that the sign is there. And there's no, there's no time that that's more important oops than the early season if yeah you know if you're hunting you can go into a place in november and just be in a good pinch point and there may not be a lick of buck sign in there but all of a sudden he's got to go from point a to point b on his cruising round he's gonna go right through there at 15 yards cruising right, right. down that trail yeah regardless that, that yeah. sign that sign's not as it doesn't matter as much but early in the season um paying attention to that sign is just so so important and I mean, there's a lot of ways to get there. You can walk field edges. You can walk transition lines. You're looking for rubs. Um, another thing, I know I'm just spitting a bunch of stuff, but I, <laughs> I, one other thing, I was thinking about this a lot. One thing that I do in um, timber type settings is like, I'll look for, um, for example, like states like Michigan, Minnesota, I can, I'll list some that I do this in Ohio, Michigan, um, Iowa, Minnesota, or Wisconsin, I would look for places where there's CRP and otherwise mostly timber habitat. Find that a lot of times early in the season, the diversity that is created in a CRP type field in that late October or late September to like through mid-October time frame. And we kind of came across that originally through that buck nest stuff that we were doing yeah. several years ago when we were at Midwest Whitetail. Like I and and even before that, when I was hunting my grandpa's property back in the day, one of those eighty acres that I mentioned earlier in the podcast is like that was a mostly CRP. And when that was mostly CRP, that place was insane early in the sea all throughout the whole season because deer just bedded in it all year. But the diversity that's created with crp when habitat is not so like for example in iowa there's a lot of times there's just vast acreage of crp so it's a little bit different but if you were in the big timber of southern ohio or western wisconsin and you're talking about a lot of just like big mature forest but then you find this section of crp type ground in that mature forest it's something majorly different that I think creates a lot of diversity that allows those deer to spend quite a bit of time in those spots. But yeah, it's right back to the edge, the edge theory, right? Mm -hmm. It's yep. totally different habitat, habitat change. Yep. All right. Um, man, we could All talk right, about man. this stuff for hours. And I, and I, I think this is the least amount of talking I've ever done on a podcast, which is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I, I, I love the strategies. I love the thought. I love, the the different outlook on how to tackle early season because um a lot of the podcasts that i've been working through with people are 
pretty much food source driven. Um, you know, how do we find those acorns? How do we find those apple trees? How do we find those persimmon trees? How do we find, um, you know, the right food plot, whatever it is. And in your strategy is it takes that into consideration, but that's not the focal point. The oh, focal yeah. point is, is where are the, where are the bucks? Um, where's the sign and how can I get in between where that sign is, where I think he's betting in that food source and how can I set up in there regardless of if I'm on the ground or if I'm in a tree, whatever the most effective way to do that, that's how I want to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, basically I'm thinking along those same lines, I'm just thinking of like everything that me or my friends are hunting or areas that are heavily pressured to where like, I don't, we don't, you know, we generally don't have the luxury as public land guys in heavily pressured areas to like set up on a place where deer are just like coming into the open to feed. Right. And sometimes that open is even just a, you know, an oak flat and, and timber that's open timber. You know, we're just looking to get as tight and aggressive as possible to just get, you know, in these deer's bubble to where we're going to catch them in daylight. And I think food sources are really important, but that's kind of the starting point. And then I'm backtracking to get closer, you know, yeah. simply put, I'm looking for the hot food source, but then I'm using my, that was something I was going to say. And I, and I, and then I'll just shut up for a little bit. <laughs> like one thing that the summer or the summer scouting, like scouting for bedding areas and getting in, in like off season, as far as anywhere between, the start of deer, end of deer season and the start of deer season. When I go do that scouting, I'm trying to learn how deer bed in those areas. And I had mentioned that earlier, but until I find a hot food source early in the season, that's, only, that's when I start to reference that knowledge that's gained. So for example, if I'm like, okay, this food source is hot. Now I'm looking this direction past the food source. Okay. It's like, where do I think based off of my off season scouting, one would bed in this habitat and terrain? Yeah. So like the food source is the starting point. I'm trying to get closer to that bedding area from that food source yeah. before I put any investment in time setting up in that spot. Got it. No, that's a great point. That's a great like final, final thought there. And you, you know, I've talked to you on the phone for each time we call each other. We're like, yeah, we'll talk for five minutes. And it's like 45 minutes later and we're still <laughs> chatting. Um, but this was, this was, this was phenomenal, Zach. I, I hope a lot of people got some new perspective on this, um, are starting to think a little bit differently about how they attack their, their early season or their, um, their pre-rut anyway, or even, I mean, their whole season in general. Um, but um before we sign off here, just real quick, can you tell people where they can find you if they don't know? Yeah. So I guess if you think that maybe I'm just completely full of it, like that's fine. And I don't, I watch, really don't watch them do it on YouTube. To it, but yeah, <laughs> just, just watch some of our videos. I mean, we, that, that's all our whole fo focus is these aggressive style uh, hunting tactics that, you know, our main goal is to actually, it, our main goal a hundred percent is to help, other hunters or at least bring new ideas through our trial and error um and maybe you know help other guys become more efficient we're on youtube uh the hunting public is our channel name uh instagram facebook we have a podcast of our own that's on uh you can find it on any major podcast platform where i i call people and 
do the same thing that Anthony's doing here, just talking about like different type of tactics for different regions of the country. I mean, I'm, I'm really, myself and the other hunting public members are really interested in like, nobody's hunting situation is the same. And we want to learn as much about it and gain as much knowledge as possible through traveling to different areas, talking to different people. And that's, you know, our whole goal is to yeah. just help everybody. You know, we want people that are watching us to talk to us about what they're doing and vice versa. You know, it's like, we just want to have a community of hunters that are all trying to help each other. Cause Hey, we're all on the same team. Right. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, when it ended with that note, thanks again for being on and uh, catch all you guys later.